Tonight, avalanche risk rising, the weather system that could make South Coast ski hills deadly. Plus, this is out of control. You know, they're, they're posing harm to the rest of the public. Outrage after Chilliwack churches defy provincial health orders again and. Deal signed for a new NHL season, but now the question, where will the Canucks play? You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin tonight with breaking news. Canada is joining a growing number of countries banning flights from the UK due to a new strain of COVID-19. Travelers in the UK have been rushing to the airport as countries temporarily restrict travel in an effort to prevent the spread of the virus. Tonight, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau met with his emergency committee and as of 12.01 a.m. Monday, Canada is restricting travel from the United Kingdom. The ban does not apply to cargo flights and stops where passengers do not disembark. A British Airways flight from London was set to arrive at YVR tomorrow afternoon. Ross Lord has more on the reason behind the ban. In contrast to these scenes, people rushing into train stations to get out of town, day one of the London lockdown was marked by emptiness. Streets abandoned as new rules take effect, restricting the movement of more than 16 million people. I think they're very quite brutal, but I think it's to be expected. I think it's what's needed. Because everyone's made plans and because it's this close to Christmas and then we're being told it's, it's being cancelled, I think that's made it a lot more difficult. A growing number of European Union governments are banning travel from the UK all because of the new variant of the novel coronavirus. The new variant is out of control and we need to bring it under control. The new measures follow reports the mutation transmits up to 70% more than existing strains. A frightening number, but some infectious disease specialists in Canada are not convinced. The key questions are, is this more transmissible? Does this cause a, perhaps a more severe illness? And will the vaccine work on this strain? And quite frankly, none of those answers or none of those questions have definitive answers. Doctors say it's likely COVID-19 vaccines will be effective against the variant. Ross Lord, Global News. For a fifth weekend in a row, in-person services were held at a handful of churches in Chilliwack on this, the Sunday before Christmas. That despite being slapped with thousands of dollars in fines for continuing to violate provincial health orders against mass gatherings. Grace Key has the latest. Christ is here. That's the argument. At Free Grace Baptist in Chilliwack, the Sunday morning sermon included an explanation for defying the, the public health order. And where Christ is... We want to be. On Thursday, RCMP charged representatives of three Chilliwack churches with eight counts of failure to comply with a public health order, with fines totaling $18,400. Police are not identifying the churches, only saying they've responded to reports of gatherings. On the mornings of December 6th and 13th, 2020, police responded to reports of, of groups of people gathering at three separate places of worship contrary to existing to the existing BCPHO. Chilliwack Free Reformed and Free Grace Baptist have been seen holding services in recent weeks and gathered again on Sunday. One person says he comes here because it's one of the few churches open and his girlfriend comes all the way from Vancouver to attend. We're all spread out. There's only every second pew. 
Um, everyone's wearing masks. They sanitize their hands. So it's kind of like, I don't understand why we can't go to church. But I can go to the mall. We were in Guilford Mall and there's hundreds of people there. Some neighbors near Free Grace are not happy people are still gathering. If you want to praise God, be all for it. But you've probably read the Bible a thousand times over already and memorized it. Do it at home. Do it virtually. Stay the hell out of these buildings. They should be locked. We have kids at school in the in the in the neighborhood, and it's actually quite unsettling that people are, you know, not paying attention. It's a danger to all of us. For now, it appears the fines will not stop people from attending church. Come to church, find salvation. Don't worry about a cure. You, your soul is saved here. Grace Key, Global News. A Burnaby man missed the boat for allegedly refusing to mask up on a B.C. ferry. At around 7 o'clock last night, West Vancouver police were called to the Horseshoe Bay Terminal by B.C. ferry staff. They say a foot passenger in his 60s became belligerent and began yelling when asked to wear a mask. By the time officers arrived, he had put one on, but ferry staff didn't want him to board, so he was escorted off the property. The man's fare was refunded and he was not issued a fine. The NHL and Players Association confirmed today the plan to start the season on January 13th, but there are still questions about where and how the Vancouver Canucks will play. The Canucks posted video of players practicing at Rogers Arena last week. The league and union agreed to a 56-game schedule that includes an all-Canadian North division for the season. The NHL wants to play games in the home arenas of participating teams, but is prepared to hold them in one or more neutral venues per division. So it's up to provincial health officers, to uh, officials that is, to decide whether the Canucks will be playing in Vancouver. Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldwin joins us now. Keith, what are health officials telling you about this plan? Yes, well, there's been talks uh, underway for some time between public health officials and the NHL trying to work a restart plan, in the, uh, get it going, as we saw in the summer. The challenge right now, though, Colleen, the numbers of COVID in the summer are far less than what they are right now. We're in a completely different situation. We are in the midst of that proverbial second wave. Take a look at the current situation BC finds itself in as we headed into the weekend. These are seven-day averages. Uh, more than 650 cases a day. 18 people a day are dying on average from COVID-19. We routinely have about 359 people in hospital a day. That number has really skyrocketed since November 27th. So these numbers are far worse than they were back in August when the Canucks and other teams were playing. And again, the number is far low back then. So the challenge now for Dr. Bonnie Henry and po other public health officers in places like Alberta, Manitoba, and Ontario, home to NHL teams, but also the places where COVID-19 is surging almost out of control. But I put that question to Dr. Henry at a recent briefing just a little more than a week ago, and she still sounds pretty upbeat and optimistic that this thing can get done. I understand they have a plan for a return to practice and potentially return to games. I know they are looking at a Canadian league versus going back and forth across the border. So currently, the way things stand, they would not be able to go back and forth across the border to play games, and we would not support that. But I have not yet seen the details of it, but we are supportive of a well um, developed plan uh, for return to practice and uh, for games that uh, involve travel within Canada. Um, we'll be in a different situation um, sometime in the new year. Well, Keith, we know she's a fan and no doubt this issue will be addressed at tomorrow's three o'clock briefing.
Yes, indeed it will. I think it's definitely going to come up at 3 o'clock. But it's also going to come up before that because our colleague Richard Zussman will be interviewing Dr. Bonnie Henry and Health Minister Adrian Dix on a live Facebook uh, feed at 1 p.m. tomorrow. I know I've already talked to Richard. He's going to certainly raise this. It'll be interesting to see Dr. Bonnie Henry's response to the plan potentially for the Canucks to open training camp on January 3rd because the public health order standing down all events and gatherings doesn't expire until January 8th. That may create a bit of an optic situation, mm -hmm. an optic problem, and we'll just see uh, how she responds. Again, 1 p.m. tomorrow with Richard on Facebook. All right. Thanks, Keith. Well, what's shaping up to be a very busy season in Whistler is COVID concern. With long lineups on the hills spreading into the village, as you can see there, there are concerns about crowding right now. Locals and visitors say staff on the mountain are doing the best they can to enforce the mask mandate and social distancing. But the village is sometimes a bit of a free-for-all due to a few rogue rule breakers. The resort municipality referred our inquiries about how it's balancing COVID safety with ski season business to Whistler Blackcomb. In the lineups in the morning, it seems that some people are not staying uh, two meters apart. But, you know, that's lineups. Everybody's in a hurry or all excited to get up on the mountain. Everyone seems to be wearing the mask and lift lines for the most part. In the lift lineups, there's lots of people. It's busy. Some adhere to the rules, some don't. But for the, I've got my mask on and people are pretty well spaced apart and you can control that yourself. Escaping to the outdoors this holiday week is posing more than one kind of danger. An elevated avalanche risk has been posted for some mountains on the south coast as a storm is set to roll in across the region tomorrow, the first day of winter, by the way. Paul Johnson has more. Outdoors, socially distanced, and just a short drive for many. What could be more perfect than an afternoon of snowshoeing in the North Shore Mountains? Just walk and breathe. This gorgeous, you know, we have some sunshine today. It's nice picture if you make it to the very top of the Cornburn mountain. Between the hikers, snowshoers and skiers, Cypress Mountain was a busy winter playground. Most stay on the marked trails and follow the advisories. But with these numbers, invariably somebody gets lost and ends up in the dark and the cold. Monday storm will pack quite the punch. The forecast means mountain-bound people need to pay close attention. We're looking at the avalanche risk increasing to high, especially for the tree line above and stretching into the alpine. Avalanche Canada says anyone even thinking about heading into the backcountry needs to know what they're doing and have a shovel and beacon at the very least. Another thing to remember is time of year. Monday's the shortest day of the year. So that means if you get lost up here, there's a limited amount of time that they can look for you. It's possible this holiday season may see some of the biggest numbers of people converging on our accessible mountain terrain. Who can blame them after all we've been through? But with the expected weather this coming week, it could test our ability to stay sensible and safe. At Cypress Mountain, Paul Johnson, Global News. Bit of a strange scene at YVR today. A plane somehow ended up stuck in the mud off the runway. This Air Canada Boeing 787 needed a tow to the hangar. One person who took the video tells Global News it was stuck for a couple of hours. The airport says there was no impact to YVR operations. No passengers were on the aircraft and no one was injured. We've reached out to Air Canada, but we haven't heard back yet. 
We are learning more tonight about the B.C. man charged with dangerous driving in Alberta for allegedly sleeping in a self-driving, speeding Tesla. As Kristen Robinson reports, Canadian legal experts are calling the case unprecedented given the confusion surrounding the legality of autonomous vehicles. Witnesses claim the man behind the wheel of this Tesla Model S and his passenger were asleep with their seats fully reclined as the self-driving car reached speeds of up to 150 kilometers an hour on Highway 2 between Edmonton and Calgary this past July. The officer was quite shocked when he realized he couldn't see anybody in the Tesla. When RCMP caught up with the alleged driver, Loren Tsai was charged with speeding and handed a 24-hour license suspension for fatigue. The 20-year-old BC man is also accused of dangerous driving. This is a legal first. I don't know that I'm aware of any other case in Canadian law ever where somebody has been asleep in a self-driving car uh, that has been charged with dangerous driving. You still have the responsibility as the person sitting in the driver's seat to do just that, drive. Tesla's autopilot safety feature has been subject to abuse, but Kyla Lee says the laws have yet to catch up with technology. And it's driving on the wrong side of the road. We don't have much regulation. ICBC says BC laws do not allow driverless vehicles on roads. Lee says provincial motor vehicle acts don't address self-driving vehicles, and this case could steer new legislation. It will be one of the first times that self-driving features of cars are considered by courts at all, ever. Um, and that's going to lead to, I think, really important decisions from the court about what a driver's obligations are in self-driving mode. In B.C., Lorenz Tsai was charged with driving while prohibited in Richmond in 2019. He received a $1,000 fine for the lesser offense of driving without a driver's license. A ticket for violating a driver's license restriction in January was deemed not to be disputed, while Tsai is also accused of speeding in Monte Creek in February. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Vancouver police are appealing for witnesses after a man died following a collision just after noon on Friday. Two vehicles collided in front of the No Frills store on Broadway near Yukon. One of them was pushed onto the sidewalk where two pedestrians were struck. A 78-year-old man and his 72-year-old wife were sent to hospital. The man has since died in what is the city's eighth traffic fatality of the year. His wife was seriously hurt but is expected to survive. The campaign to free a renowned Saudi women's rights activist and UBC grad is intensifying after friends and family say she could now face 20 years in jail after being tried in a terrorism court. Negar Motaheshti has more. Driving while female. That's one of the main reasons why a former UBC student is being tried in Saudi Arabia. Her trial recently transferred from criminal court to terrorism court. Essentially, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, took all the credit for that. But Al-Hathlou still remains locked up in Saudi Arabia behind bars on a number of trumped-up charges. Demanding women's rights that Sharia law grants Muslim women having a coordinated agenda that includes campaigns in the media for alleged rights and de demanding abolition of the male guardianship system. So when you hear charges like this, it's really clear that they're completely bogus, essentially. These are not criminal things uh, that she's been accused of, and yet they're being heard in, in terrorism court. 
Now her friends in B.C. are urging the Canadian government to ramp up pressure on Mohammed bin Salman, especially since they are hearing from the al Hathluth family that sentencing could come down as early as Monday. It's really important to uh, to speak up and call on world leaders, including Justin Trudeau, to speak up in solidarity with Lou Jane and to demand her freedom. al Hathluth's family also speaking out on social media, condemning the state prosecutor's decision to seek the possible maximum jail sentence, saying al Hathluth is advocating for women to be treated with dignity, a sentiment her friends and advocates here in Canada echo. She's been tortured. Uh, She's faced sexual harassment and abuse while in prison. Saudi authorities strongly deny this, but the detention of activists has cast a spotlight on the nation, which is also facing global criticism over the 2018 murder of Saudi journalist Jamal Khashoggi, an execution the world won't forget. And as the crown prince tries to calm the criticism, the Canadian campaign to free Al-Hathlul continues to intensify. Negar Moshahedi, Global News. Local protests in solidarity with farmers in India have made their way to Facebook's offices with dozens demonstrating in the downtown Vancouver area today. The crowd was scheduled to focus on support for farmers who've been camped out near India's capital for three weeks fighting farm laws they fear will destroy their livelihoods and put them at the mercy of corporations. But amid growing allegations, their social media campaigns are being censored. So they shifted their focus to the offices of the social media giant. Facebook confirmed to Global News hashtags related to the farmers' movement have been inundated with pornographic material, forcing the hashtags to be restricted. It's called shadow banning and has affected other movements, including Black Lives Matter. Protesters accuse the company of failing to find effective solutions. The B.C. SBCA discovered some abandoned kittens inside a freezer bag this morning. Staff found the bag outside the door and could hear faint mewing. When they opened the bag, they found three kittens, scared and reluctant to come out. It's unclear how long they were inside, but thankfully, the six-week-old kittens were not injured. Scuba Claus has taken a deep dive into the holiday season at the Vancouver Aquarium. Starting this afternoon, the jolly old elf dropped into town to put on virtual shows every afternoon at 12.30 and 2.30 until January 5th. The shows also feature the Vancouver Aquarium's most beloved animals, and viewers will have a chance to help save Christmas by diving underwater with scuba claws in search of the missing keys to Santa's toy cupboard. Tickets to the online event cost $9.99 per household. The money raised will go towards supporting the Vancouver Aquarium, which has been hit hard by the pandemic. The facility remains close to the public. The U.S. CDC has now signed off on Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine, with the first cases shipped to the U.S. this morning. Starting Monday, the American government plans to distribute nearly 8 million doses from both the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines. Health Canada is expected to approve the Moderna vaccine early this week. And it can't come too soon. Across the country, more than half a million Canadians have now been infected with COVID-19 since the pandemic began. Health officials are warning that number will likely skyrocket over the course of the winter, with more than 6,200 new cases reported over the past 24 hours alone. Over the past week, Canada has averaged an infection rate nearly four times that during the first peak in May. 
It took just over two weeks for the national case count to grow from 400,000 to 500,000. Surging infections have led to a steady increase in both hospitalizations and deaths. Global News has learned Ontario will implement sweeping measures that will put that province into a lockdown for almost a month. Today, Ontario reported more than 2,300 new infections and 25 more deaths. It's the sixth consecutive day the province has registered more than 2,000 new cases, and that's putting pressure on the hospitals. And as Morgan Campbell reports, the Ontario government hopes this circuit breaker will stop the spread. This holiday rush at the mall may be the last indoor gathering in Ontario for now. And it is as if people in this province expect it. Put it this way, it's, it's awful for not follow what they ask. Global News has learned Ontario will be completely locked down for 28 days come Christmas Eve. Sources close to the Premier's office say the only exception will be in northern communities, which will be placed under a 14-day lockdown period. The move comes at a time the province grapples with record high new cases of the novel coronavirus. What we're seeing is all over the world, um, leaders are now sort of rethinking the Christmas holiday and how we're going to position ourselves for it. Uh, You know, they may have reasons for their secrecy, but look, I'm going to say this, you know, the lack of transparency um, erodes trust. There will be an impact on schools come the new year. Elementary students will not return to class, but will spend the first week of school in learning from home. High schools will remain closed for the entire lockdown period. Sources tell Global News the Premier calls it a circuit breaker, and it will also require all non-essential businesses businesses to shutter across the province and restrictions could be placed on outdoor activities such as skiing and skating. Medical experts believe stricter measures are needed to curb the spread of the virus. Probably fines are are what's needed. If the threat of, you know, if reason doesn't work, maybe then enforcement is something. The reality is if no one ever left their house again, there would be no transmission. Um, so we know we know logically that that works. The problem is what is what is going to be the downstream effects of that? The measures are in line with what the Ontario Hospital Association has been calling for to ensure that hospitals do not face a devastating surge in COVID nineteen patients. We see that rejected uh, by too many people. We will see, in all likelihood a moment of historic uh, difficulty in the month of January. Meanwhile, Global News has learned that the Premier and his cabinet were considering asking for the provincial shutdown of all airports and to implement a province-wide curfew. In the end, those ideas were rejected. Morgan Campbell, Global News, Toronto. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. The chess game in Ontario that left the players cold. We'll have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. But first, the owners of a jade shop in Cash Creek are asking for help after an iconic boulder was stolen. It's nearly 1,300 kilograms. That's right, a chunk of jade that big disappeared from the front of the Caribou Jade Shop last night. The heist happened just before midnight, and the store says the large rock was last seen in an older gold-gray Dodge pickup truck that was towing a flat-deck trailer with an orange excavator. Anyone who's seen the boulder is asked to call the RCMP. Well, that's just weird, Yvonne. 
Strange. That's very strange. Not boulders coming from the sky, <laughs> something a little smaller and colder. Yes, and Mother Nature right on cue, first day of winter, officially just after 2 in the morning. And we are watching a big storm that is going to bring a significant amount of snow for the mountain passes and many spots in the interior. And I'll have more in just a moment. So here's what we are looking at this evening. The next round of moisture is going to start to push in, but it'll likely be late as we get in towards the overnight and the early morning hours. The timeline of the precipitation, especially for Metro Vancouver, as we approach the morning hours, much of the potential or the snowfall rather that we've been talking about with the special weather statement will start to pick up as we get in through the day tomorrow and then it starts to push its way towards the east. Now, here's a special weather statement that is in effect mostly along the southern tip of Vancouver Island, the east as well. We are looking at the potential for wet snow above 150 meters rather and we will track that through the day. Now, if you're traveling along the mountain passes, especially higher elevations, a few spots could get up to 35 centimeters of snowfall and most of the valley bottoms, for example, in the Okanagan, five and up to 10 centimeters, and then up to 15 for higher elevations. Now, the mountain passes do check in with Drive BC for the latest road conditions. We're looking at 20 and up to 35 centimeters for the Coke, Allison, and Kootenay Pass. The connector that range between 20 and 30, the Rogers Pass for the day tomorrow, it intensifies and continues for the evening up to 20 centimeters. And the Sea to Sky in Malahat with a range between 5 and up to 10 centimeters. So we are looking at that potential for snow, but Metro Vancouver really be higher elevations for the usual spots. Westwood Plateau, Burnaby Mountain, and SFU will be included within that. Now, the northern half of the province will see most of the precipitation. It'll be for the morning hours, easing off towards the afternoon. A bright spot for the northeastern corners of the province. Much of the central interior is dry, and then areas towards the south of it, that's where we'll see the snow heavy at times, beginning in the morning, continuing all the way towards the evening. So if you're traveling along the mountain passes, it's advised that you go on Tuesday because we are going to see drier conditions. The heaviest snow will fall through the day tomorrow. Along the south coast, so we are going to see that rain developing for most areas across Metro Vancouver. The winds will ramp up, especially as we get in towards the afternoon and evening. Northwesterly, 30 and up to 60 kilometers per hour. So first day of winter, we could see some wet snow. And then a nice clearing is on the way. We've got some sunshine, dry conditions leading up and towards Christmas so far. Colleen? Sounds good. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Two guys in Ontario made chess into a winter sport, taking an icy plunge to play a game on a partly frozen lake. Have a look at these guys. The two were planning to take a dip in the frigid waters of Ontario's Oak Lake and wanted to find something to distract them from the cold for more than five minutes. So the two, Ron Batugas and Nick McNaught, decided to make a game of it. They say they acclimatized to the freezing temperatures way before the game, then recorded their chilly accomplishment. Other than a handshake at the end, they say they were otherwise mindful to keep their social distance. Oh my goodness. Tough to concentrate when your teeth are chattering. But... <laughs> also, would you want to like just lose and get it over with so you can get out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm sure you've got just as interesting stuff coming up in your sports. Yeah, desk, it's very busy uh, Sunday. Seahawks have clinched yet another playoff spot. They did it the Seahawk way, which is never the easy way, but we'll have highlights of that and hear from them as they make their way to the postseason. We'll weigh in on the uh, Canucks waiting, of course, for the uh, go-ahead from the province to get uh, home games during the uh, NHL season and uh, more adorable moments with uh, Charlie and Tiger Woods. Oh, we good. always love to have a bit of adorable other than me on the sports. So oh, I can't get enough of that. Yeah. Thank you. School photo sessions are precious mementos of our and our children's youth. 
Sadly, the pandemic means some school districts have canceled in-school photo sessions. But as Sarah McDonald reports, that isn't stopping families living in one Vancouver condo building from capturing milestone snaps of their kids. Hey. How are you doing, Sophia? The outfit. Three, two, one. The pose. Are you nervous? The pressure to get that perfect school photo never changes. I did a no mess version because I know that my parents would like me to have a smile. Look right in there. But so much has this year, including that timeless rite of passage for students. Photo day. We found out that the VSB had made a decision that they weren't going to be doing individual school photos this year. In Vancouver, elementary school students haven't had their chance for a close-up yet due to pandemic restrictions. The school board says the logistics are complicated with a strict no-visitor policy in place. That would include the photographer, somebody like, say, Brandon Thomas. I was recruited to take the photos. He's not school sanctioned, but the creative director by trade is stepping up to give some students the chance to snap a portrait in a safe and socially distanced setting. A private, spacious, common suite turned studio in the same condo complex where all of these muses' families also live. I love photography. I've been doing it for a long time. Um, I had the equipment. I had some lighting gear. He also happens to be the father of Lila Rose, who, along with her classmates, like Malia Shigematsu, now at least have a professional portrait to show for this pandemic school year. I enjoy class photos, and I just... I know that a lot of parents enjoy having photos of their children, and when they're older, they're going to look back at those photos and go, she's so young, or he's so young. I was happy that I could still do my photo, but it was kind of weird because I didn't know how it was going to work. In practice, it's working out largely without a hitch and with safety protocol in place too. A lot of the kids are in the same bubble, but that doesn't mean the parents necessarily are. The final products? Picture perfect. The pandemic has just really brought the best out in some people and how it really just goes to show you that you can keep a sense of community even though we're so isolated. A reminder not only of a highly unusual school year, but also of the bonds and relationships made stronger by it. Sarah McDonald, Global News. <laughs> Some residents at a senior's home were treated to a very festive parade today. Family and friends and Santa himself in vehicles and on horses paraded by residents at several care homes today, including this one in West Vancouver. Most residents have been shut off from the world and visits have been severely restricted. Organizers are hoping to provide some hope and cheer for those seniors unable to see their families this Christmas. It also shows the staff their appreciation for keeping their loved ones safe. Help the WHL mascots unite for community. The WHL and the five BC hockey teams are raising funds for children with their Tees for Toys campaign. When you buy a t-shirt, partial proceeds will go to ensuring as many children as possible receive toys this holiday season. WHL.ca slash Tees for Toys for details. This year, more Canadians than ever need a helping hand. Donate today to the Salvation Army Christmas Kettle campaign and help thousands of people who have met hard times. Fillthekettle.com for details. Global BC, celebrating 60 years of broadcasting, celebrating 60 years as BC's News. 
Barry's here with sports. And before we see more of Tiger's son, you've got a little Seahawks news for us. Yeah, good news on the uh, Seahawks front. Lots of happy fans here today. Thanks, Colleen. The Seahawks uh, had a chance to clinch their ninth playoff berth in the past 11 years today if they could beat the Washington Football Club on the road. Washington had won four straight and has one of the best defenses in the league. But it was the Seahawks defense who came up big late in the game to send Seattle to the playoffs yet again. Pete Carroll really liking how that defense has played the last four weeks after a very rough start to the season. They gave Washington rookie quarterback Dwayne Haskins fits in the opening half. This pass tipped and then picked off by Shaq Griffin. Seahawks led 6-0 and really had stifled the Washington offense. All right, Seattle offense now in the second quarter. Russell Wilson... We'll pull it down and get to the outside. Russell hasn't ran as much as I think he should. When he runs, that opens up a lot of other things in the offense. 38-yard scamper down to the 30. That led to this bullet strike from Wilson. Man, he lasered that in there to Jacob Hollister for the touchdown. 37th TD pass of the year, adding to his team record 13-3 at the half. And on the opening drive of the second half, Seahawks' ground-and-pound game continues. This time, Carlos Hyde busting through. 50-yard touchdown gallop. Seahawks had 181 yards rushing. They led 20-3 after three and were in total control. But then in the fourth, Haskins started to get some rhythm. They'd already scored one TD and then get another as Haskins hits the former Seahawk, J.D. McKissick, for the touchdown. 20-15 Seattle. Washington had the Seahawks on the ropes. They had a chance to get the winning TD in the final two minutes, but then the defense steps up. L.J. Collier with the sack of Haskins. And on the next play, here comes Carlos Dunlap, and that seals the deal. The Hawks officially clinch a playoff spot, holding off Washington 2015. Seattle now 10-4 on the season as they book that ticket to the postseason, which is a new experience for first-year Seahawk Jamal Adams. That's a hell of a feeling, man. I'm sorry. I'm not used to this, guys. Forgive me. I know you guys are used to, you know, Seattle, you know, always going to the playoffs. I'm not used to this. I'm used to sending my cars home by this time. And, you know, hey, I'm already packing up, learning where I'm going next. Where's the vacation? When am I seeing family? Sorry to cut you off, brother. I'm just excited. Yeah, I can't take those playoffs for granted. A lot of players haven't been there. Meanwhile, Rams and the 0-13 Jets from L.A. Of course, the Jets got walloped 40-3 by the Hawks last week. But first quarter, Sam Darnold to Ty Johnson for the touchdown. The Jets would build up a 20-3 lead on the enigmatic Rams, who you never know what you're going to get from week to week. Fourth quarter, though, Jared Goff with the short TD pass to Tyler Higby. L.A. got within three at 23-20. to now, the Rams were close to field goal range in the uh, fourth quarter, decide to go for it on fourth and four, but the pass by Goff is deep and incomplete, and the Jets do the Hawks a big favor. New York with its first win of the season. The Rams fall 23-20. Seahawks now first in the NFC West. Seattle hosts the Rams in a huge one next Sunday. Seattle wins that. They'll win the division. All right, possible Super Bowl preview, Chiefs and Saints. Drew Brees back after missing four games with fractured ribs. Third quarter, Patrick Mahomes will find McCole Hardman. It didn't look like a touchdown on the live play, but you can see Hardman gets both feet down. Great catch, 21-15 KC. The Saints were down 14 but rallied. 
Breeze to Lil Jordan Humphrey with two minutes to go, but the Saints could not complete the comeback. Chiefs go to 13-1 after the 32-29 win, so the Saints are now 10-4. That is good news for the Seahawks as well. Meanwhile, Arizona Cardinals taking on the Eagles. Arizona clinging to the seventh and final playoff spot in the NFC. Kyler Murray threw for over 400 yards today. Larry Fitzgerald with an incredible catch at the back of the end zone. Arizona led 26-14. Eagles tied it, but the Cardinals' other outstanding receiver shows off his skill. DeAndre Hopkins somehow catches and then keeps control, gets the body down in the end zone. Cards win at 33-26. They're 8-6 and, and still above the playoff line in the NFC. All right, Tampa Bay taking on Atlanta. Bucks still need a couple more wins to clinch a playoff spot. They were down 17-0 at the half, but Tom Brady seems to have a thing about big comebacks against the Falcons. Of course, he rallied them from a 28-3 deficit in Super Bowl 52. Hits Chris Godwin on the short pass here to make it 24-14. And then in the fourth, the comeback is complete when Brady hits Antonio Brown. This is why they got him. 46-yard touchdown. Bucks rally 31-27. They improved to 9-5, and they need just one more win to clinch a playoff spot. Well, as we heard earlier from Keith Baldry, the negotiations continue between the NHL and our provincial government to allow the Canucks to play home games when the new NHL season starts January 13th. The word is, is that the B.C. government is the only province that has not agreed to let other Canadian teams play home games, despite the incredibly strict protocols that those teams will follow. As I said yesterday, NHL teams are the least of the public health worries. The NHL has mandated that teams that come in on the road go to the rink, the hotel, and that is it. Now, if the Canucks don't get clearance, I don't think that torpedoes the Canadian division. The Canucks would likely just play their home games in Edmonton or Calgary. Final round of the PNC family event. Tiger Woods and his 11-year-old son Charlie wearing their Sunday reds and blacks, of course. Ten under par yesterday in the scramble format. Charlie was fantastic on Saturday. More of the same today. Makes the birdie and then gives it that familiar fist pump that we've seen his dad do a couple of thousand times over the years. And then Tiger's got the eagle putt. Check out Charlie here. Yeah, that's going in, Dad. A little point. Yep, good putt. <laughs> you got to love it. Charlie's older sister, Sam, and his mom, Elin, also watching the action. 18th, Charlie with the short birdie putt, 10 under today, 20 under for the tournament. That was good enough for 7th in the 20-team field. It was Justin Thomas and his dad, Mike, who won it. Mike is, a, is Justin's coach. He's a teaching pro as well. And they will have the birdie here at 18. They win at 25 under par. But it was a weekend that Tiger will not forget playing with his boy in this special event. When it comes right down to it, it says he and I, we, we get into our little world, and we did that. I don't think words can describe it. Uh, just the, the fact that we were able to have this experience together, Charlie and I, and, uh, it's memories for a lifetime. All right, Charlie, you don't have to be that adorable. You're already Tiger's son. Final round of the CME Globe Tour Championship from Orlando. Brooke Henderson was in fourth, four off the lead when the day began, but three over on the front ended her run. She did rally with five birdies on the back, but she finishes tied for seventh at 10 under. But world number one, Jin Young-Ko, fired a 66 to come from one shot off the lead. 
and win it by five shots. She is the best in the world and proved it today. $1.1 million payday for Co. as she is the CME Globe Tour champion. English Premiership, Manchester United taking on Leeds. United with five wins and a draw in their last six EPL matches, and they laid the boots to Leeds early. Scott McTominay with his second goal in the first three minutes of the match. United led 4-1 at the half, and they tack on two more in the second half. Daniel James finding the mark. Man United blast leads 6-2. United up to third in the standings, just a point behind second Leicester City, and United has a game in hand. World Cup freestyle skiing from France. Cultus Lakes, Reese Howden racing in the men's ski cross final. The 22-year-old with one previous podium finish in his career in January at Nakiska. Got off to a great start as he jumps into the lead. Led for more than half the race, but got overtaken late by France's Jonathan Maidal. But still a terrific uh, day on the slopes for Reese Howden. Finishes second today in France to get a silver medal. And that's his highest ever finish in the World Cup. Mariel Thompson of North Van and Whistler won bronze in the women's race. And that's it for sports. And hopefully you'll see Charlie Woods every weekend now because oh, can't get enough of this kid. So adorable. He is, isn't he? Love him. heard about them or even seen them when a guy pops the question to his unsuspecting girlfriend. But this surprise engagement is, is a little bit different. It took a number of coincidences and a spontaneity. Julia Foy has the story of this serendipitous proposal. Wedding photographer Emily Peter of Chilliwack decided to do something special on the morning of December 12th. We left at um around 6.30, got up there at 7. It's a bit of 4 by 4 drive up there. Her destination was Mount Woodside, and she wanted to get there before sunrise to shoot some photos of her friends. But then in the quiet morning light, she saw another couple. We were at the very top sort of looking over, and I look over and I see this other couple and this photographer taking photos, and I was like, what? I wonder if I could somehow find a way that that photographer could get a photo of us. But Emily beat him to it. I thought they were really cute, the couple that made the fire. So I was like, well, it would be nice if I took some pictures of them. As Emily began the photo shoot, something unexpected happened. She was sort of giving us prompts and I said, you know, I think I might have a better idea. And that's when I was able to pull out the ring and propose and yeah, it was amazing. And I was shocked, and my like my friends that I brought up were screaming. With like, we were just all so shocked. Emily knew she was recording something magical. She was completely shocked. She, one of the pictures I took, she was looking back at us. She was not expecting that. I love sunrise adventures, but Johan doesn't as much. So the moment that he said, "Let's do a sunrise thing," I was already like, "This is suspicious." Okay. <laughs> The couple has been dating for 18 months, and the proposal was delayed by rain, a missing engagement ring, and several refusals by photographers to join them on the mountain. But Johan is convinced they had a little help from heaven. God is just so amazing. 
He just blesses us in so many different ways. As for Emily, she's hoping she might get invited to the wedding in April. But she's already happy to have been part of their love story. I've never been up there at sunrise to do a photo shoot, but I've always wanted to. And the one morning I actually decide to make it happen, there's a proposal. Like, it's just meant to be. Julia Foy, Global News. She captured some magical photos. Gorgeous. Oh, Setting the, the standards, setting the bar high for a great marriage. If you, This is your engagement. So. Well, one Good would hope. Yes, <laughs> sure. sure. Yeah. That is the news hour for tonight. Thanks for joining us. Sarah McDonald is here at 11 o'clock. Stay with us now for 60 Minutes. Have a good night.